and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. It's day four of the five-day happiness challenge. Five days, five podcasts, five tips, and a series of habits to help you implement those tips. Put it into practice and you end up with a happier life. That was the case for me and I hope it will be the case for you. If you've listened to the first three days already, then the likelihood is if you've put any of those things into practice, you are already seeing results. As always, I'd love to hear from you with your comments and questions. So if you'd like to let me know how these tips are working out for you, or you'd like to ask a question, head over to Facebook and look for Big Happy Life page. In today's episode, we're taking some of the things we've covered in days one, two, and three, and we're building on it by looking at the link between expectations and happiness. The content in today's episode is inspired by a book called Solve for Happy by Mo Gaudat. It was through listening to Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast, How to Fail, that I first encountered Mo Gaudat, and the episode that I listened to where he was her guest was so profound and so wonderful. I Honestly, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's season four, episode four of How to Fail, and I've included a link to that episode in the show notes page, which you can find at bighappylife.co.uk. It was actually through Mo Gaudat that the idea of happiness as a default setting rather than something you add became part of this five-day challenge. He takes a really practical view of happiness and came to the concept of happiness with the mind of an engineer. At the time, he was also desperately trying to find meaning, having just lost his son through a routine surgery that went wrong. His son was 21 at the time. In the book, he talks about happiness being the absence of unhappiness. And so that's what we looked at on day three, was the ability to move through feelings productively when you experience them. So the object doesn't become not to feel them, the object becomes to use them as guides and teachers to move towards whatever it is, whatever needs to happen in order for you to experience a positive future. Either because you weren't stopped in your tracks by an emotion like fear, you carried on and you did whatever the thing was that you were afraid of doing, or because you have learned how to manage the discomfort of an emotion you've been carrying for years, and so it becomes lighter, easier to carry, and no longer a block between you and your happiness. What I should add at this point is that doing that emotional work for many people can be enormously challenging and you may need the help of a qualified professional to help guide you through that discomfort and to do so in a way where you still feel safe and you can actually do the emotional work that's required. So if that step doesn't feel to you like something you're ready to do on your own, then do seek help. Either way, whether you do this on your own or you do this with the help of a qualified professional, once you're able to move through those kinds of emotions more productively and more easily, and they don't cripple you for weeks or months on end, then what's left becomes a return to happiness more easily and less fear when you go into those experiences because they don't rob you of your happiness, they're temporary experiences. But as always, there's more to the story. Because quite often, behind those uncomfortable feelings and those uncomfortable experiences are our expectations. And that's where the happiness equation comes in. In Solve for Happy, Mo Gaudat comes up with a happiness equation. And it goes like this. Happiness is greater than or equal to the events in your life minus your expectations. So when the things that are happening in your life meet your expectations, you feel happy, and when they don't, you feel unhappy. 
In the book, Mo Gaudat encourages us to really challenge our expectations, our expectations of life and what it's supposed to be like, of control, of time, of all kinds of different things. He talks about illusions and blind spots and shows how quite often our expectations are predicated on information that is untrue, on illusions, and are subject to major blind spots. He points all of these out in the book and kind of labels them all. Each one has its own chapter. It really is a great read and likely one that will feature in the Big Happy Book Club at some point in the future. Before reading this book, I had never really thought about my expectations and the role they played in my ability to be happy. But since reading it, I find myself much more able to catch the moments where I feel dissatisfied and I run the risk of judging, behaving in ways I'll later regret and ultimately leaving myself feeling worse for longer. So when I have those little blips, I say to myself, solve your happiness equation. And that allows me to just momentarily ask myself a set of useful questions. That's what this episode is about. And that's why today's tip is to solve your happiness equation. So let's dive in. the same. We don't live the same lives. We aren't facing the same things. We don't have the same expectations, at least not all of the same expectations. But when you understand the variables, it's easier to figure out where to place your focus. So here we'll look at the variables and then it'll be up to you to kind of figure out how you apply those in your own life based on whatever you're facing and however you're thinking. I say it every day, but I'll say it again. If you have comments or questions, if you would like some help, then do reach out via the Facebook page, Big Happy Life page. And you can also do it via the show notes. You'll find those at bighappylife.co.uk. And your comments or questions put you in the running to win a free coaching session, during which you would also be able to delve a little deeper into some of the things we talk about and kind of figure out what they mean to you. So back to the variables. In this case, we're talking about the pieces of the happiness equation, the bits we get to play with and decide where to place our focus. As a reminder, the formula we're working with, or the happiness equation, is happiness is greater than or equal to the events in your life minus your expectations, which means those things are the variables that we get to play with. So to get started, what I'd like you to imagine is one of those old-fashioned scales. You know, the, the brass ones that had those bowls that you could put things in and then they would sort of tip up or eventually if they become the same weight, then they balance out and they settle at the same level. On one side or in one bowl, you have the events in your life, your life situation. And in the other, you have your expectations. When these things are balanced and even, or where the scale tips in favor of the events in your life over your expectations, then you feel happy. For me, the coolest thing about the happiness equation is that both of the variables are dependent on perception and beliefs. Your expectations have come from your life experience, from the things you've been taught and the things you believe about what's good, what's bad, how you're meant to behave, how others are meant to behave, what it means to be successful, what it means to be happy, all of those things have expectations underneath them and your expectations have beliefs and experience and history underneath them. But all of that stuff is story-based. If you had grown up in a jungle, the expectations you have of yourself and the people around you would be entirely different than the expectations you have now. 
And so the ways you come to experience happiness would also likely be quite different. Now, there are commonalities across people in terms of the kinds of things that almost all of us require in order to experience happiness. Things like connection and love, belonging, all those kinds of things. But how we interpret those things is down to our expectations. And so the first habit here isn't really a habit. It's more of an exercise. And that is to spend some time understanding your expectations. I know I keep harping on about the book, but honestly, it is a great way to blast off the blinkers and point you towards expectations you may not even really have registered that you had. Another book I loved for understanding expectations was Rising Strong by Brene Brown. In it, she talks about stealth expectations. She talks about situations where she's had a fight with her husband and it turns out once they kind of delve into it that they both had expectations of the other, but they were neither consciously aware of those nor did they talk about them. And yet the whole fight was based upon the existence of those expectations. Then once they were able to uncover them, identify them, speak about them, they were able to solve the problem and the marriage goes back to being one where they both feel happy within it. So outside of doing the exercise where you begin to uncover and sort of rise to the surface your expectations so you know a little bit more about how you're thinking, the day-to-day habit here that can help improve your happiness is that when you find yourself experiencing the kind of uncomfortable emotions we spoke about yesterday, take that as an indicator that one or more of your expectations is not being met. And if possible, in that moment, try and think about what that might be. What are you expecting to happen? What are you expecting of yourself, of the other person or people involved, of the situation of life itself? And see how that's affecting your interpretation of the events and the relationship and what's being said, and therefore contributing to the feeling that you're currently experiencing. In trusting relationships, it's also a really valuable habit to get into to share your expectations. So both of you can kind of understand where the other one is coming from and make efforts to create the relationship that allows your expectations to be met and also challenged when it's necessary for that to happen. Actually, without even really understanding anything about this or knowing anything about it at the time, my husband and I had a conversation about this back when he was my boyfriend. And it was about dishes. I got really huffy one night. I was loading the dishwasher and there was lots of stuff. And I can't even remember where he was, but he wasn't with me and he wasn't helping. And I gradually started doing this thing that I do, maybe you do it too, where I'm banging and clattering the dishes, but I don't actually say anything about what's wrong. And eventually he came into the kitchen and he's like, what's up? And I went, nothing. Slam Sam more dishes. And he says, well, clearly something's wrong. So do you want to talk to me or not? And then I blurt out the whole thing. I'm not happy, blah, 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 blah. And he says, well, why didn't you just ask me to help? Ah, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I shouldn't have to ask you to help. You should want to help. So of course, there's a whole host of expectations underneath that, but that's not where I'm going with this. He said to me, Anytime you want me to do something, you just need to ask and I will always do it. But don't expect me to read your mind and then get cross with me if I can't. Now we could go into the ins and outs of whether he should predict and he should be able to step in and it should be fair and there should be this and that and the next thing. And that's a whole host of expectations. And sometimes those expectations do come up and bite me and then I do still bang around in the kitchen and make a load of noise without actually saying I'm not happy. I'm working on it. But his advice to me about don't expect me to read your mind, I took it to heart 
And in every situation since, at least the ones where I remember to do it, and I'm also thinking straight enough, I've simply gone, would you mind doing this? Could you help me with that? And he does. There's no drama, there's no upset, there's no banging of dishes, there's no dissatisfaction, and my happiness remains intact. And I hope so does his. And 14 years on, our marriage still feels good. So uncovering and discussing expectations can be a really great thing for building relationships that ultimately help contribute to that sense of connection and belonging and love that we all strive for. Not only that, challenging our expectations can help us do the things we're afraid to do and so ultimately take action in the direction of things that ultimately make us feel good about ourselves and contribute to our happiness. Another quick example, I've been working on Big Happy Life for over two years now. And this five-day challenge is the closest I have come to creating the courses that when I first started Big Happy Life, I was planning to create. Because I keep stopping in my tracks and I keep doubting myself. Not until I challenged my expectations did I realize that I was expecting myself to be permanently happy and on top of every habit in my life before I felt that I was allowed to open my mouth or offer any sort of advice. But the thing is, I'm one of the people I'm trying to help. And if the expectation is that we have to be perfect before we're allowed to say anything about improving, then probably none of us would open our mouths. So challenging that expectation has meant that this is playing in your ears right now. And I hope that makes a difference for both of us. So a quick recap about habit one, because I've gone off and talked about loads of examples. When you experience uncomfortable emotions that stop you in your tracks or lead you to feel unhappy in relationships or with your life or whatever, uncover the expectations underneath those. Ask questions like, what's making me feel like I'm right? What's making me feel like something's wrong here? What's driving my perception of events? If possible, and if it's appropriate to do so, talk to the people involved and then reshape and re-agree your expectations in such a way that you can move forward towards something that feels better to you and to the other people involved. For the second habit, we turn our attention to the other side of the scale and we focus on events. And this is where we revisit day one and we go back to fattening the good. This is about more than just putting a happy face sticker on things and it's about more than just seeing the positive side. When you fatten the good, you're retraining your brain and you're rewiring it in the process. We now know that our brains continue to adapt throughout our lives. We thought they stopped doing that when we reached adulthood, but it's not the case. So when you make changes to the way you think, you make changes to the way your brain works. And so the more you consciously seek out the experiences in your life that weigh in the favor of your happiness, the more your brain will naturally start to look for them because it becomes accustomed to doing that. So carrying on with the big happy life example, you already know I've been at this for over two years and I can honestly tell you starting an online business is so hard. There are hundreds of gurus out there who will tell you there is a secret and they have the secret, but I promise you nobody has the secret. It's incredibly hard work. You're in a sea of thousands of other people who also do what you do and you're trying to get your voice heard. If I fattened that side of my experience, I can tell you, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast because it wouldn't exist. But instead, I fatten the experience of doing this because it's so much fun. And the research and the effort that goes into it helps me think more clearly about the kind of wife and mother that I want to be. So like I said to you before, I'm one of the people I'm trying to help. This helps me do it. And if it never goes anywhere, it's still achieved that. So when I'm scared and I'm worried, 
well, usually there's an expectation that things are going to be easier than they actually turn out to be. But that aside, I turn my attention to the parts of this experience that make it worth doing. Because it is a source of joy and happiness for me. It is a source of something that makes me feel like the person I hope I am, or I'm working towards becoming. I also fatten the tiny things, like the fact that two of my friends have listened to every episode and have commented on every episode, and that one of them says it's really helping her. So it's not everything I expected it to be, but it's many things that drive my happiness, and that makes it worth continuing. So the habit of fattening the good allows you to experience the events of your life in a way that you can continue to invest in the things you feel are valuable, that contribute something to your happiness, and in doing so, help you also challenge your expectations. Today, I'd encourage you to look at both sides of the happiness equation, either in relation to a specific situation or specific relationship, or in your life in general, and then see where to place your focus in terms of challenging your expectations or looking at the events of your life in such a way that you can focus on the parts that leave you feeling strong, resilient, and happy. Because as we've seen in every episode so far, those feelings are the precursor to thinking more clearly, taking decisive action, and building your life in the direction of creating your happiness as a more stable entity, something you can access more freely and enjoy more often. With all of that said, quite a lot of the things you experience in your life are not in your control. And so one of the greatest sources of unhappiness is when we try and control things that are not ours to control. So the final tip tomorrow is all about letting go. This tip is probably one of the most valuable and most important tips when it comes to your happiness. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you tomorrow. But for now, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.